Welcome to Birth Trauma Training for Birth Workers, the podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Erin Bauer, clinical psychologist and coach. This podcast is all about helping the helpers, inspiring you to find growth from adversity and teaching you the skills you need so that you and your clients are strong and resilient. Australia's nurses and midwives are overworked, undersupported and in serious danger of burning out with 32% considering leaving the profession. This is according to the findings of a Monash Business School survey of nurses and midwives wellbeing. My guest today has found the confidence to work in a way that's aligned with her sole purpose so that she's not going to be another statistic. If you want a sustainable career as a midwife, you need to actively level up your self-care and support. These are teachable skills. Hannah Wilsmore is an endorsed midwife in private practice, a life coach and a buddy of mine from Hypnobirthing Australia. She's based in Adelaide and she runs childbirth education and women's circles. At 15 years of age, Hannah managed to swing work experience in a hospital. She got onto the labour ward and watched a caesarean birth. Can you imagine that ever happening now? With the spirit of knowing that midwives are so often just doing the best they can with shitty conditions, Hannah and I talk about how we can be preventing burnout and preventing birth trauma. We look at language, using person-centred language instead of medicalised language, making things seem like it's an emergency when it's not, and issues around informed consent. We also talk about the importance of having a supportive network and not waiting until you're stressed to seek support. If your support system doesn't actually make you feel better and have you walking away feeling lighter, then there's something that needs some tweaks. I want you to stay in birth work. If that's your goal, let's talk about actionable steps to help make that happen. Hi, Hannah. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am pretty good on this um, chilly Melbourne morning. I don't know how it is where you are, but I'm sitting in my Ugg boots. I won't lie. Yeah, I am sitting in my dressing gown. So awesome. So matching, yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Um, should we start, my love, by going back in time? How did you decide to become a midwife? Mm. Um, I decided pretty young. I um, always wanted to sort of work with babies or or pregnancy Um, and I was lucky when I was about 15 I did a work experience placement at a hospital and I was on their labour ward which is something that is you know that is pretty how did you swing that yeah I don't really know Um, it was it was at a (laughs) hospital and it was just one of the days that I was there Um, and I wasn't uh, you know, particularly involved, but I did go um, to a cesarean birth. Um, that, wow! Mm, yeah, so that kind That's of unbelievable. Yeah, and when I think about it now, I just, I just don't think it would happen now. Like I've never, you know, heard of students, you know, being that young, sort of in in the hospital. Um, wow! Yeah, so I saw um, that was sort of the first birth that I ever saw, and that just set me on that path. And that's really what I was. Um, determined to do so when I finished school I went straight into uni and straight into placements and um, I will say it was very different to what I thought it would be Um, Mm. I think coming into it being quite young but I was lucky that I I did love it Um, and yeah I've been a midwife for about six years 
now and um, worked in private and public hospitals and now I work in private practice. Oh, and you do some other cool things too. You're one of my hypnobirthing buddies. I am, so. yes, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I um, have been teaching the Hypnobirthing Australia course for four years now, which yeah. has gone quickly. But, yeah, and I love it. Mm. Oh, it's just such a, a good combo, I think. Mm. I really, really wish that every midwife had the opportunity to teach their own independent yes. childbirth education which just I know it's not possible because of bureaucracy and all that kind mm. of stuff but it just mm. marries so well together yeah yeah I, I think it's um such a key part for women to preparing in a positive birth to be able to have that independent education and um, knowledge and choices in you know an environment that's outside of of the labor room so that they can consider their choices and their options and and what they would like to do. Mm. Let's go to the other end of the spectrum though. Yes. The, I mean, look, this is in the, I'm someone who trained in hypnobirthing and I still had two traumatic births. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you know, it's suppose it's about not just saying, Oh, well, if you do all these things, like we can prevent birth Mm -hmm. trauma. It's a really, 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 really loaded question, but mm-hmm. it's a loaded question I'm going to ask anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think about the role of a midwife in preventing birth trauma? That's a good question. I think midwives have a huge role in preventing birth trauma. Um, I think they are a key person sort of in this complex issue of birth trauma like you've said there's it it is a big issue and there's lots of different aspects to it Um, but I think midwives can sometimes contribute to the trauma and other times they can be um, such a sort of positive or empowering sort of influence that can help to maybe buffer or um, support um, a woman who may be experiencing birth trauma. So I think midwives have a big role um, on sort of both sides of the spectrum. Mm, no mm. pressure. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, no pressure. Do you want to start unpacking some of that for us? What's your thoughts about some, I suppose, key things you could actually potentially do to prevent trauma from happening? Mm, mm. Yeah, I th- and I think this is something that I'm definitely passionate about and um, have, you know, been researching and sort of working a lot around over the last few years. And I think just to sort of preface this, I think a lot of midwives or most midwives are doing the best, you know, they're, they're trying to do the best that they can um, yeah, in, that, in their situation that they are in and, um you know, how I practice as a midwife now is quite different to when I first came out and, you know, there's lots of different influences on um, how a midwife practices. Um, but I think there are some things that are um, good to consider and just to think about. Um, so really with midwives, I think our role is to be with women. So, you know, with the woman. And I think depending on, you know, no matter what setting you're working in, whether that's in an antenatal clinic or in a labour ward or um, a birth centre or someone like me in private practice, that's still really a key part of our role. And I think sometimes we forget that a little bit. We get swept up in 
sort of some of the political aspects or the medicalized sort of side of of birth because it is quite medicalized in our hospitals mm. um and so i think we can sometimes get swept up with that but if we remember at the end of the day to be with the woman and to really um support them i think that's something that we we can take into any situation and particularly um i think with the language that we use for women and this is something obviously with the hypnobirthing australia course we talk about language and some of the medicalized language that we use for um labor and birth um and how that may make a woman feel so mm. just being mindful of the language that we use so instead of saying things like okay we're going to break your waters now or um, we're going to induce you in a week saying something more sort of we think you would benefit from having your waters broken or artificially rupturing your membranes or um, we think you would benefit from being induced in a week for x y and z reason this is the benefits this is the risks you know this is some alternatives that we could try you know how do you feel about that what's your you know what would you like to do I think Mm. just that question um, is really powerful because and I know as a midwife sometimes medical interventions are you know needed and sometimes that is going to be the best option for a mum and her baby but it's always her choice Mm. and I think putting it back and sort of explaining it like that and then saying then what would you like to do Um, the woman might make the same choice that the midwife was suggesting but at least she has made that choice she's not feeling like she had to do it or it wasn't an option Mm. does that make sense it is so huge because when people look back Mm. over decisions that were made over their bodies and their babies. Often a huge thing that comes up is there was no discussion about it, particularly in the case of emergencies. And we know that the language of emergencies is a lot shorter and sharper. Mm -hmm. And I definitely remember from particularly my second birth, there wasn't so much the would you like to do your mind if we, it just was like, yeah, we've got to do this. We've got to do this. We've got to do this. Mm. And part of that can be around the framework of a genuine emergency. But Mm. as as we teach, it's looking at the person in front of you and I suppose actually having that mindset of what's my goal here? Mm. Is my goal here to actually be with the person and serve, Mm. as you say, Mm. or is it to meet a quota? Is it to not get into trouble? Is it so I can go on a lunch break? Yes. Whatever it is. And just taking those few microseconds, if it's not a clear, genuine life or death emergency happening in the next Mm. minute or Mm. few minutes, to go, actually, what's the goal here? Because that changes things mm. so much, mm. so much. And it's it's often not an emergency. You know, in, in an emergency situation, yes, absolutely, the communication is, is going to be probably shorter um, and more direct, like you said. But a lot of the times it's not an emergency. It's just maybe the next step in an induction process or um, what the hospital does routinely or um, just just little things, like even when a woman comes in, in labour when she presents to her hospital and, and goes into the labour ward room, um, often we'll say things like, okay, so, you know, if you want to hop up on the bed, we'll do an internal sort of without, you know, there's no emergency situation there. Or mm. similarly with the induction process, that's probably where I see it a lot. Um, in my experience as a midwife, I've worked in, in hospitals where we do um, have a lot of women being induced every day and, 
I think they can quite quickly get on that roller coaster of intervention without really understanding what all their choices and options are um, mm. and, and why we're recommending certain things. And like I mentioned before, it's, it might be that the, the midwife perceives that they're really, this is the best course of action and another option might not be safe for the woman or her baby. And I've been in that situation as well, but it's sort of presenting the options to a woman and her birth partner and recommend, you know, explaining why we'd recommend some over another and then letting them make that decision, mm. which I think is um, a shift that we could make that would make a big difference for women in um, preventing birth trauma or, or helping birth trauma. Obviously, we can't prevent it all the time, um, but helping with that, I think. Mm. What are some other language quirks I suppose for lack of a better term because again this is not about like criticizing people and Mm. saying you're doing it wrong Mm. but what are some of the tweaks I suppose that you think you've noticed from your own practice and your own working experience that you think that would be a better substitution in terms of it might seem like a small thing and I know definitely there are some people who are like I don't know does it make any difference Mm. Like, mm. I've even met with clients who are like, mm, doesn't really bother me if you use contraction or if you use surge, I don't really care. Yeah. And that's fine. But as yep. you say about having the option, yes. what are some of the, I suppose, quirks that you've heard, I mm. suppose, to student birth work speak that you think could really just be altered that little bit to make a difference? Yeah. I think um, one in particular is about internals or vaginal exams in labour. Um, often our policy, you know, recommends to offer them to women every four hours, but often what is said is more, okay, so we'll do your next internal in four hours or we'll do an internal in an hour to check what's happening mm. uh, versus saying potentially something more like, um, you know, we, we recommend to have an internal every four hours because of this reason, but it is your choice. You can opt to have them you can opt to not have them or you might opt to have them when you want you know when you're feeling comfortable like for a woman I've, I've seen it play out where a woman um, was in the shower laboring beautifully and she was asked to come out of the shower and lay on the bed for the internal um, and then she ended up sort of staying on the bed for quite a while and she just really wanted to get back in the shower and she said to me afterwards <laughs> that she wished she just yeah. didn't get out of the shower yeah, And I think for women knowing that they can say something like, you know, well, can we just wait an hour or could we wait half an hour? I'm quite comfortable in here or something like knowing that it's not a rule. It's not the law of how it has to go. It's, it's our hospital policy and it might be what we're recommending, but it's still their choice at the end of the day. Um, so I think, yeah, how we present the concept of internals is quite, um, uh, yeah, is, is an important um, point. The other one that I see a lot um, is around the placenta delivery or placenta birth and the synthetic oxytocin injection. And this is something that um, probably a lot of midwives, I think, will agree with me on this, that we don't often, we don't always um, inform women particularly well about this. I think it's sometimes to do with the timing of when it's given, when a baby's just been born and obviously mum's, you know, connecting with her baby and um, it's not the ideal time to be going through all the pros and cons. But often midwives will say something like, I'm just going to give you an injection to help your placenta. Mm. 
And they haven't said what the medication is. They haven't said, is that okay? Is, you know, they're, they're, um, the pros and cons. And for me as a midwife, when I'm caring for someone, I always try quite early in labour to talk to them about the placenta delivery and, you know, the pros and cons of, of active management or physiological placenta birth and, you know, why we might be recommending one over the other and saying, you know, are, are you happy with that? What would you like to do? So that then when it gets to that point in labour, um, I already know what, what she is opting for. And I think part of that's a tricky one because often um, at a birth, particularly where I've worked, we have two midwives there for the birth. So it's often the second midwife that comes in who gives that injection. So they may have met the woman, but a lot of the time haven't. Um, So they're probably not going to be having that discussion. It's more up to the primary midwife to say, yes, they're happy for the um synthetic oxytocin injection or no they're they're not wanting that Mm. but and those um subtle shifts i suppose even just in shift changes like change potentially the whole time of the room yes yeah yeah and especially the second midwife coming in um i think I, i can understand from a midwifery perspective why we often do that but for the woman and and for her birth environment, that unfamiliar person coming into the room at that crucial point is definitely not ideal from a, you know, physiological perspective. Mm. So I think there's lots of sort of clashes with how our physiology is designed to work and our hormones and then what we do in our maternity system, which I'm sure is something you've witnessed with the Hypnobirthing Australia course as well with, um, helping to sort of bridge that gap for women when maybe they are going to a hospital system and um, how that may or may not be supporting them to birth as their body's designed to. Yeah, and I suppose, look, it's always about bringing it back to, you know, the preventative things that I guess birthing people can do. Mm. So, 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 so many amazing benefits. But, of course, it's not a, definitely we're not saying it's as simple as, oh, well, if you just use this word instead mm. of this word, mm. that wouldn't happen. So mm. I guess there's, there's the language side of things. What else comes into play, do you think, in terms of, like, I suppose being in that supportive role, holding, being able to hold someone else's potential trauma? I mm. think what I'm hinting at mm. is what some of the stuff you've had to do in terms of your own... Not so much the putting on the armour. I get a bit um, worried when midwives start talking to me about, like, going in and putting on their armour. So it's like to yeah. not feel anything, not be, not, you know, to sort of go into kind of robot mode. Yeah. But trauma, like even watching other people's trauma stays in your body. You get tense shoulders, you know, your stomach starts feeling nauseous. You have, you know, pain in your hips. You have sort yeah. of like... Some birth workers even talk about like having kind of like phantom um, almost like kind of niggly feelings in their own reproductive system, Mm. which is Mm. fascinating. Yeah. What are some of the things you had to be aware of about just your own, I suppose, bodily energy and how you are storing, deflecting, absorbing other people's trauma? What what have you learnt? Yeah, I think this is a good question. This is something I've definitely been working on, um, particularly over the last couple of months. 
I think I've always been um, quite a sensitive person, like even as a child, and I do really feed off other people's emotions. And I'll admit I'll often find it quite hard um, to be that sort of buffer in in a labour room, maybe potentially between doctors or maybe another midwife um, and myself and, and the woman sort of trying to support her as much as I can but also trying to make sure that we are providing safe care for her and her baby and um, it, this is something that I definitely am, am working on and, and I think um, can always be improving but for me probably one of the biggest things is being able to debrief or talk with someone else about it um, and I know that can be hard for me I do this a lot with other midwives so with close friends of mine that are midwives and we're all very supportive and it's it's just about sort of you know catching up for coffee and chatting about maybe what's happened and um, processing that it's not a formal debrief or anything like that it's just something that I've noticed when I'm catching up with them regularly I feel a lot better about things. And I also sort of, I guess, run in a few different circles. So I still work in the hospital, um, not very often, but a little bit. I also work in private practice. So I have sort of different groups. I have um, a group that I connect with of private midwives and a group of some of the hospital midwives. And I sort of have opportunity to work, um, to chat with with midwives in, in all different situations, which is really helpful. I think... A lot of midwives don't have that choice. They, they work on a roster, whereas for me, um, working privately, I you know can choose when I see clients and I'm not sort of running off lots of night shifts and things like that. So I think fatigue for midwives is actually a huge contributor to the care mm. that then they're providing and also how they're um, taking on, on those emotions and what you were talking about before about putting on that armor before you go in, I've definitely felt that. And I remember that sort of took me back to when I was um, a graduate midwife in my first year. And every time I would have a shift in the birthing, you know, I would feel like I had to sort of psych myself up for it and, you know, prepare for um, this potential battle or this, this potential mm. stress. And I, I know lots of other midwives have said the same thing. So I'm not alone with that. Um, and if you're having to do that regularly, I think that's, yeah. and then you're also throwing into the mix, not having much sleep or coming off a run of night shifts and, um, maybe other things that are going on in your life. It just all really contributes, I think, to feeling that trauma as midwives more. Mm. Um, so for me, my schedule, you know, being in control of that for me has, has made my work as a midwife, um, much more enjoyable and, and I'm lucky that I am in that situation where I can you know take some space if I need to um, to be able to just work on myself and um, think about those things and also I think having the option of speaking with somebody whether it's a counsellor or um, a different therapist or, or whoever sometimes having that that option there it's not a route that I have gone down personally but I think knowing that there is someone that you could contact to talk through um if you felt like you would benefit from that extra support is really important knowing that that's an option there it's like with everything even with women knowing that mm. the support is there knowing that where they can get help if needed I think part of the trickiness with that at least in my experience has been people 
tend not to do deep breathing or seek help when they're actually feeling okay, which is yeah. really the perfect time to do it. Yeah. Because when you are really distressed and you're fatigued and you're burnt out and all the things that you mentioned, your problem solving, your ability to learn new information, your ability to retain information doesn't work very well. Mm. So quite often what I've seen is people... I never want to say leaving it too late. There mm. is never, ever, ever leaving it too late. But I wonder if there needs to be some improvements, particularly for new students coming in, yeah. to set that tone of, no, you start that work when you're all enthusiastic and actually feeling okay. Don't wait. Mm. Because I think the pressure that's put on midwives in particular to be exhausted, you're fatigued, Maybe you actually don't have anybody at your workplace or friends that you can debrief with yeah. to then grab yourself out of bed and go see someone when you're like yeah. really struggling. It's quite a it's quite an onus to put on someone. And I sometimes wonder if we had it set up in the beginning where it was like, Yep, okay, you're enthusiastic, you're feeling positive, mm. you've got some energy reserves. Now go and seek out your support now. Don't yes. wait until everything has fallen apart. Yeah. Yeah, in a puddle. Mm-hmm. I think there definitely yeah. needs to be more emphasis on that. Um, we're, we're in a very caring profession and I think it's normal, I guess, to take on some of that. Well, not normal to take on some of the emotion, but, you know, it's it's at some point we're probably going to feel like that. So it would be beneficial to sort of work on it earlier, I think. And like you said, when you are feeling really positive um, versus trying to come in at the end and maybe fix a a situation and I was very lucky where I did my grad year as a midwife um the midwife that was sort of the facilitator of our graduate program was amazing and she would schedule regular um sort of catch-ups where we would be um we would go you know and all catch up for coffee and it was on the shift and it was sort of protected time so that we could go and have that opportunity and I guess I wish I just wish that then carried on from there mm. um, after that first year because that made a big big difference but I know that not all midwives have that opportunity to do that or they have that support yeah and sometimes the debriefing that you were talking about before actually isn't what people imagine it will be they actually mm. don't walk away feeling supported mm. and feeling better they actually walk away feeling worse like I suppose sometimes debriefing as I've talked to other people about before, mm. can sometimes just be the sharing of hot air. Yeah. And then it's like just having all this hot air stuck in the balloon mm. and the balloon's just floating in suspension, mm. but it's not actually going anywhere. So yeah, how do you think, because I suppose we can kind of put it down to oh, happenstance or good luck or whatever, but what do you think has made it so that debriefing with colleagues or friends has actually been helpful? For you what could you translate that into in terms of a teachable mm. skill I think it being um something that I choose to do so sometimes mm. not something that's organized on a set day or you know organized by the hospital or um, I mean for some midwives they might find that very beneficial knowing that there's a regular sort of time but for me I find that it's it's something that I want it's not something I feel like I should be doing or I, you know, need to go to this particular debrief. And it's also something that I could stop doing if I wanted to, if Mm. I didn't find that it was helpful. So I think kind of 
having the ball in my court um, and I'm also able to choose who I seek that support from. So depending on, you know, the, the situation, I and I, I guess I do have um, a lot of plans in place to catch up with midwives from different sort of circles, which helps. Um, but, yeah, I think that's probably the biggest thing, not feeling obligated, not feeling like it's mm. another thing I need to do, more catching up with them hearing about their life as well and then maybe talking about some work things if there's things that we you know particularly want to talk about but it's sort of the friendship first which I think is is probably a big um contributor and I think another thing for me that's really affected my practice is not working just in one system so I remember when I was just working at one hospital and I wasn't teaching hypnobirthing and I would just you know, go there for every shift like a lot of midwives do, I started to sort of think that the way we did things was the way that everybody did and the mm. all care providers did the same thing. And then when I started, I went and worked at a different hospital and then I started teaching uh, hypnobirthing and working with women going through all different care providers and different hospitals and hearing their experiencing and actually realising how different it all is has kind of given me more um, almost compassion that the, the way we we do it is not the way everywhere does and it's sort of um, when you're in a health system and maybe you don't agree with some of those practices, you might think, well, this is just the way it is, but it's actually potentially not. Other Mm. places might be different just because that's how we're doing it doesn't mean that everywhere is. And I think for my mindset that's kind of made me more accepting of of the way that maybe different midwives do things and um, we are talking about this before about how there's, you know, many ways to be a good midwife and it's there's not a set blueprint of how you need to do everything as a midwife. Um, but it's just about, I think, being open. And some of the best midwives that I think I've worked with and I feel are really supportive of women are the ones that are flexible and realise that the way that they do things is maybe not the way that all other midwives or care providers do things and, and that's okay. You know, there's different ways that we that we can do things, different ways that we can work to support women. Um, so it's really just coming back to this idea I guess of seeing the person in front of you yeah and that might actually mean not just looking at your client or your patient but Mm. actually looking at yourself in the mirror Mm -hmm. and going you know what if I want to do things differently that's okay yeah so long as it's you know ethical and legal and and safe and all those things yes exactly part of that might mean if you are surrounded with 20 other people who do things a bit differently, maybe you need to get yourself out of your bubble mm. Mm. and meet some different people. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I think that's been huge um, for me. Like I really enjoy um, going to workshops and um, I went interstate for a, about a four day workshop a couple of years ago um, with another midwife that I'm friends with here. And that was amazing. Just meeting other midwives and, um, just hearing about their experiences, I think it just, I don't know, it's its hard to explain, but I think um, sometimes we can put a lot of pressure on ourselves to be like other midwives or the oh, we're doing it wrong because the way that we're doing something, but it's not necessarily the case. Um, and also something I've seen a little bit lately, um, particularly stepping out of the, the hospital system and working more in private practice, um, there's sometimes a little bit of, Oh, not negativity, but um, 
sort of midwives, you know, who maybe take a different route, like for me going into private practice or some midwives will um, become an independent midwife doing home births or they'll they'll stop working in the labour ward and they'll go work in a midwifery continuity model or they'll go and work agency or something like that to give them more flexibility in their choice and they are sort of getting sometimes some negative feedback from other people. So I think just, you know, letting midwives choose their career and going where they want with it and having that confidence to go no this is where I want to work and um or maybe they've gone from a a, from a public hospital to a private hospital and they're really enjoying that but they feel like you know there's this pressure to to be you know in the public you know there's all these different kind of things that come into it but as a midwife feeling confident in your path and knowing that Mm. there's very there's lots of different options of how you can work as a midwife um and and that's okay and and knowing that the path that you're on might not be the path for everybody but that's okay and it's your life it's your career at the end of the day and how you want to be spending it is is the most important thing I think not what other people think and Mm. for me being involved in quite a few different circles has allowed me to see that as as a um, junior midwife, I never thought about going into private practice. Like it just never crossed my mind. And then I started teaching hypnobirthing and then I started having clients asking me if I was offering private services and feeling like they wanted some more support. And then I started meeting midwives who were offering this type of care and thinking, oh, wow, that's, you know, that's great, you know, having that time to spend with women and, and things like that. And And that's sort of how I got led on that path. But I wouldn't have gone down that path had I not sort of broaden my horizons and the midwives that I were speaking with how amazing how amazing that you've found I love it when people find a way to go all right there is a way to do this and Mm. have like that long-term sustainable Mm. career Mm. without sort of just falling back on them like oh well it's the system the system's crap we'll just have to like yeah we just have to deal with it and not complain about it yeah and it's you know if I'm being completely honest I if I had stayed um, working as I was, you know, when I first started as a midwife, I don't know that I still would be working as a midwife today. Mm. And I can't remember the statistic I read a few a few months ago and it was something about I think a third of nurses and midwives are considering leaving the profession, Yeah, something like that. It's a huge number. And... And I've, I've seen that happen. I've had friends that are midwives that have, you know, worked as a midwife for a few years and then gone and done something completely different. And, um, you know, that is, you know, the, the right path for them. But um, I think, yeah, I knowing that I had the option to, you know, provide care as a midwife in different settings was, was really important to me. And I think if I just sort of stayed in my bubble at the start, I never would have even been exposed to that. Or I would have thought, oh, it's too hard or, you know, um, I would have had all these assumptions about it, which weren't actually true. Mm. I think, um, the, the tone I hear in your voice that I sometimes hear in other people's voices is that one of confidence where you've, you've got, from a place of like, oh, as you said, mm. putting on the armour, feeling like, oh, I don't know, I'm kind of not mm. feeling very confident mm. at all. Hearing that, it's really good because I think we can say to people in birth work, you know, you can make change, things can be different, you can do all of that. But I think actually hearing, sometimes it's just that subtle, it's almost like birth, isn't it? You're vulnerable mm. to certain mm. ranges and things. But I think that thing about 
hearing someone else speak confidently about it mm. kind of it sits in your body mm. is what I'm hoping. I'm mm. hoping that people hear your voice and go, oh, she sounds, she sounds pretty confident. <laughs> she sounds like, you know, this is working out for her, which is good. This is what we want. This yeah. is what we want. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, yeah, I do feel like I really found my kind of spot and I, um, I love what I do. Like, I don't feel like I'm, you know, going to work or I don't feel that kind of, um, dread or that feeling of, oh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to do this, which I have felt in the past. Um, so yes, I'm, I'm, you know, pretty happy with where I'm at at the moment. And there's a lot of people that have helped me along the way. And I don't know that I would be in, at, in this position without the support that I've had um, from other midwives or just from other people, um, just just providing that support, that community, I think is really important um, as well. So, yeah, I think for midwives, I my big thing is, you know, knowing there's different ways that you can work as a midwife and um, if you're not happy in a particular situation, maybe taking on a different job or a different role or just trying something new sure you might hate it but then you you know that you know you've explored something else and that's sort of always been my approach well I'll you know I'll try this and I'll I'll see if it's for me and if it's not then it's just a learning experience it's not um you know it's not the end of the world I can always go back I've always said that with working um for myself that if I decide in 10 years that I don't want to be running my own business anymore I'll go back and work in the hospitals I'm still a midwife I can still do that um it's it's just you know exploring different options I think and not feeling like you're stuck in this one version of this career for your whole whole life and I guess for me um being a a younger midwife I guess I plan to be in this career for a long time so I'm kind of used the last sort of four or five years to really work out how I want to be working with women and how I want to be supporting them and where I feel I um, am most confident and happy working and for me that is in private practice but for other midwives that might be on a labour ward or it might be in a birth centre or a midwifery group practice and that's fine it's just about finding your niche I guess. Mm. Tell me then, is there something you have been reading, listening to, watching, some sort of resource, whether it's related mm. to birth or not, mm. that you think other people might find juicy, interesting, useful? Yeah, I'm trying to think of just one. I'm someone that's always <laughs> you can reading give multiple. <laughs> this, is, this is good. Always um, on the go. Um, think of one in particular I think podcasts um have always been helpful for me you know particularly driving to a shift and driving home (laughs) or just um doing home visits and things like that um there's quite a few different podcasts I haven't really sort of settled on one I think it's just about about different opinions and um I'm trying to think just gone blank on any in particular okay we don't have to put you on the spot there's a reason that there's show notes yes exactly yeah yeah I think um a podcast that I have been um quite enjoying it's almost sometimes the the non-birth ones that I enjoy Mm, as well pops up too yeah you know that are just sort of because sometimes we can become really focused on what we're doing and then sort of try and look at the big the big picture but one that I do quite like is um, Melissa Ambrosini's show and she's actually done um you probably know anyway a few um sort of birthy type um 
interviews on there with different people. I know she did one with um, Sarah Buckley, which was really good. I remember that one. And I think it that for me is just kind of um, maybe feel that, you know, there are those those different options for working as a midwife, but also that other people get it, like they get mm. they're on the same kind of page um, as me as well. And, and I guess finding that little community um, for me in person has been helpful, but definitely um, online as well has been really beneficial um, and just different kind of mindset books. I think it's, it's funny. I incorporate a lot of the hypnobirthing techniques into my everyday life um and particularly well, they're lifelong skills, exactly exactly yeah. um and just you know keeping that positive mindset and and focusing on what I'm hoping to achieve and um you know the visualization the affirmations and all those kind of techniques I I use a lot in my everyday life as well just to to support that um but yeah I can't I'll I'll have a think about it I'll let you know mm. I think this is a lovely thing for people to take away with, though, that potentially um, if someone was working with you, that this isn't just, oh, here's some things I'm going to teach you in like a four-week yeah. course yeah. or a couple of weekends and that's it. Like this is actually you live and breathe this stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's the nice point of difference, I think, that would really, really shine through. Like, mm, mm. And I do. Like I... Um, my mum said to me the other day that I probably talk about work too much, which you know, <laughs> probably probably would agree with that to some extent. But I, I do, like, I do love this and this is, you know, a lot of my world, you know, at the moment. And I just, I love what I do and I love being able to help women. And I've particularly found a um, an area that I'm really passionate about, about helping women um, to navigate our maternity system or maybe look at their different options for care. Um, or understanding their choices and their options, that's become sort of quite a big thing for me and I filter that in when I'm teaching the Hypnobirthing Australia course but also when I'm working with clients and trying to offer them all the options and then putting them back in the driver's seat because I think that just flows through to everything, not only with birth trauma but how they're parenting and, and raising their baby and their confidence in breastfeeding. You know, if they've had their whole pregnancy and labour where people have been telling them what they need to do and then we discharge them with this new baby and say, oh, just, you know, go with your instinct. You'll know what to do. You're a mum. But if we haven't been fostering mm. that before, it's it's really overwhelming um, for women. And that's something for me, most of my work as a midwife is providing postnatal care um, in the home, in the community. And for those women, I often see that if they've really built that sort of trust in, you know, oh, yeah, this is this is our birth and this is our baby and we do have choices and options and, you know, we can do some research and make the right choices of us, that then flows through to that postnatal journey and, and, and long-term, that long-term effect. So I guess that's why I'm so passionate about this because I think it does affect you for the rest of your life, not just for the day that you give birth. Mm, and I think you're touching on something which I think, even though I, I feel like I talk about it a lot, I could never say it enough, mm. is that I think birth workers often forget that they are the emotional first responders. You are the people there as the trauma is unfolding yeah. and often you are that trusted person that someone will go to in the event that something isn't feeling right Yes, or that they're feeling traumatised and they don't even know that that's what they're dealing with. They're not going to come to see a psychologist mm. and say, I'd like a referral for birth trauma. Mm. <laughs> like, mm. That happens sometimes, but there's usually quite a few different um, 
avenues that get explored before that. And so knowing that you are in such a privileged position mm. to be able to, mm. as you say, go back to being with woman, being with birthing person and being able to be that person to be like, okay, here's, here's space for you. Yes. I'm listening. Here's how we can help. Because I think that's so true that the birth trauma isn't something that happens just as a baby's born. Mm. It mm. can happen after the placenta's delivered yep. it can happen during breastfeeding mm-hmm. it can happen you know when complications are found later on there's just that just you know there's so 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 many opportunities I guess for people to go okay I can be that person I can be in that role yeah and not um I suppose sometimes think oh well, that's for other experts yeah to sort of pick up with and deal with later on mm. because you know I think I've spoken about this before mm. A psychologist is sometimes third, fourth, maybe even fifth person yeah. that a family will see. I'm not there at the hospital. Mm. Like there's, I mean, that would be, that's a whole other podcast conversation, mm. how awesome that would be mm. to be the like, right, I'm here, yeah. but that doesn't happen. This is often weeks, months, years after the fact. Yeah. So, yeah, I can never stress that enough, that amazing, amazing, amazing role that you guys have of being there. Mm. And just what that means and being there and how do you show up? How do you show up for someone else if you're having trouble showing up for yourself? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And oh. Yeah, it's it's tricky. And, you know, I take my hat off to a lot of the midwives um, that are, you know, doing so well when they've got so much else, you know, going on as well. Um, it's It's hard. And I don't think I've. You know, I'm not a perfect midwife either. Um, I don't think anybody is. Yeah, exactly. What is a perfect midwife? You know, we we're all working on our own stuff, and there's always other things going on, and you know, external pressures and and things like that. And I think a lot of midwives are really caught in between, and they're really, you know, doing the best that they can um, in a situation. I think you know we can always learn and improve, but I think sometimes we all also need to give credit to the huge role that we do have um and how you know how that work of being with women is so important um but also quite heavy sometimes as well mm. so hugely heavy you know hugely heavy the burden mm, mm. not that necessarily people would describe it as a burden mm. but if it's if it's more stuff being piled on top of a bucket that is already overflowing. Yes, the water is just gonna. It has to go somewhere. Yeah. So exactly. I suppose if nothing else, the thing I want people to get out of this is that social support, social coping, that thing that particularly women are really good at when mm. it's done right, mm. is so so important. And if your version of debriefing, catching up with people, whatever it looks like, doesn't actually make you feel good, then it's not being done right. Yeah. Yeah. and to look for avenues elsewhere. Mm. It doesn't mean that it is something about you mm. or necessarily about something about the people that you're debriefing with. But I think the theme that's coming through, well, one of the themes from what you've talked about is that it should be something that makes you feel better, not makes you feel worse, yes. not makes you feel Definitely. like it's an obligation, which is um, funnily enough exactly what we think of for people just going for a birth trauma debrief. Mm. It shouldn't be something that's an obligation. Mm. It shouldn't be something that makes you feel worse. Yes, exactly. 
so keeping that, um, I suppose, at the forefront of if you're feeling isolated or you've or you've got tons of people around you. You could have, you know, like an entire team of people around you, but if you're not actually walking away from that feeling energised and the vibration is being uplifted, yeah, then I think there needs to be a shift. Mm, absolutely. And if you try something and it doesn't work or you, you come away feeling not great from it, then try something else. Know that don't think, oh, well, that's what a debrief's like. It's not, you know, going to work for me. Try something else. See you know, explore another avenue that might suit you better. And you've started running women's circles as well, haven't you? Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah. So I sort of um, started from going to them myself. Um, I had been going to um, women's circles, a particular one in Adelaide, and just it's the type of thing where I thought, oh, yeah, this would be great to go and sort of meet other women and just relax and connect. But I got so much more from them than I ever expected going in and just hearing other women's experiences and being able to share sort of how you're feeling and not necessarily learning all this stuff, like not doing a course or anything, but just connecting with other women and um, talking about life and what they've found maybe helped for them. And, you know, it, it sort of made me really feel like um, there's other people that have the same struggles as me and the same kind of insecurities or or worries and how they've helped and, and particularly women who were at different stages in their life to me as well was quite interesting. So I um, decided to run prenatal and postnatal women's circles for any women that want to come and connect and and support and sort of build that community around um, pregnancy and postnatally as well. I used to run coffee catch-ups a lot with my hypnobirthing clients and they would often say, oh, when's the next one? It's so good just to chat. And I always felt like I had mm. to be sort of teaching or you know, doing something in particular for it to be beneficial. But from their feedback, I really felt that they just benefited from learning from other women and particularly those that maybe their baby was a little bit older or Mm. maybe women early on in their pregnancy. And there were some women who were, you know, further on, maybe 36 or 37 weeks. And just talking about the um, challenges or the things that they found really great and they've really enjoyed and um, how they've managed that. So, I've only just started. I ran my first circles last month um, and they were really great. I've got a beautiful little venue in Adelaide, which is really nice. And we can just relax and have a cup of tea and some snacks and just chat. And obviously for me being there as a midwife, I can provide that midwifery support if women have specific questions, but it's really more just designed to sort of be that, that chat between everybody and um, yeah, connecting and building that village that I think we've lost a lot from pregnancy and, and mm. postnatally as well. Mm. I think even when you were just talking about that, I was imagining sort of like we were talking about debriefs before. I'm thinking, well, surely generations past, like many, 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 many generations past, this is what people did mm. after mm. just the simple art of sitting and telling a story. Yeah. Everybody's got a story. Yeah. Yep. And, and just, most people love hearing other people's stories yeah. and learn something from it. Yeah, and I know that I do. Like I love hearing about other women's journeys and um, I think for me just having experienced that benefit myself and a lot of our, um, you know, we do have some mothers groups in, in South Australia that are organised through um, some different sort of organisations, but some women um, 
they, they don't start till quite a few months after birth or sometimes they can be quite structured around certain topics. And while I try and have a theme for each circle, it is very flexible and there's no sort of format that we need to follow or content that we need to get through and we need to actually, you know, be, be doing this. It's more guided by what the women really want to talk about and, and their experience and, and that just sharing where they're at and what's happening for them. And, and just that in itself is so powerful, I think. Mm. Mm. Lovely balance. That's a lovely balance that you're able to offer. I'm so excited yeah. for you. Yeah, it is really exciting. I'm, I'm yeah, really excited about um, being able to offer them and, and working with women in that way as well. Awesome. Mm. I suppose we should finish up. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining me today. I really enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been great. Absolutely my pleasure. Thanks for joining me today. Know that when you work on yourself, this has a direct flow-on effect to your colleagues the birthing people you support, and their babies. You can find Hannah at hannahwillsmore.com and she's on Instagram at Adelaide Hypnobirthing. All the resources and people that Hannah mentioned are on my website, drerin.com.au. And if you're a birth worker who has a voice that deserves to be heard, I'm looking to diversify and hear as many voices as possible. If you're from a culturally diverse or marginalized background or work with people who are, I want to hear from you. Reach out to me, drerin.com.au, or you can find me on Instagram at drerinbow. And if you want to sign up for updates on my birth trauma training course or want some independent support and coaching as a birth worker, reach out. I want you to stay in birth work, but you've got to look after yourself. I can help you do that. That is my passion. Thank you for making time for yourself to feel uncomfortable, maybe, and grow and learn from that. If you're enjoying the podcast, do you want to leave me a review so it bumps up in the ratings and more people can find it? That would make my day. Catch you next time.